John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Entry 1170.IS6008, certificate number 38095, Skyscraper Helipads. thought about why Los Angeles is such an uninspiring looking city downtown. Wow. Yeah, this is something I could talk about for like the uninspiringness of LA. We could go for hours. Yeah, it's um, and we probably annoy our audience, which thinks that LA was our cultural capital because that's where all the TV shows were set. It is where the TV shows are set, but they're all in sound stages. Strangely, Los Angeles, which is one of the creative capitals of our contemporary world, you would think would have a downtown skyline. It should have an amazing skyline. Yeah, one that looks like Hong Kong or uh, Dubai. I always assumed it was just because the city sprawled so much. Because it's got a bunch of kind of little smaller downtowns. You fly in and you're like, oh, there's Burbank, there's Long Beach. Right, the, the area over by UCLA is a na- now increasingly little little yep. town. And, and in fact, until recent times, downtown LA was a fairly small little cluster of tall buildings. And in, in recent years, it's really blown up. But still not a ton of architecturally adventurous or inspiring buildings. Yeah, nothing you'd put on a postcard. There's the old city hall, which is very nice. Beautiful little spire. And that's about it. Yeah. I can't name another building. A bunch of square buildings. Well, there's a reason for that. And that is that since the mid-70s, there's been a law in place in Los Angeles that every building higher than 75 feet was required to have a helipad on the roof. Wow. Who passed this law? Commissioner Gordon? (laughs) Um, And the reason was... 75 feet. 75 feet. That's not that big, right? No, that's six six stories tall or something. Every building taller than that, you need a flat roof because uh, there had to be, there was legally mandated, you had to have a a helipad there. So I always think of skyscraper helipads as belonging to, you know, captains of industry, you know, uh, who want to come straight from the airport. Right. But this is not that. This is for, for... Emergency personnel? Yeah, for rescue. Um, It was inspired by a series of uh, unfortunate skyscraper fires that happened in the 60s and 70s that resulted in a lot of people sort of being trapped in skyscrapers that had no sprinkler systems and no fire suppression systems. And uh, nothing, there was nothing that they could do. The fire department ladders can't reach beyond, certainly beyond 75 feet. And so people up there were trapped and, and there were skyscraper fires where hundreds of people died. Or, not, or Not in LA, right? No, not in LA. In fact, the thing that spurred Los Angeles to pass this law was a, a skyscraper fire that happened in Sao Paulo, Brazil in 1974. It was called the Joelma Fire in the Joelma building. And, um, there were no sprinklers there and no way to evacuate the people above the fire. And uh, 189 people died. 
and it was kind of a global catastrophe, and it followed on the heels of, of several similar fires. Um, there was one in Seoul at the Dayong, what is it, the Dayonggak? 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 I looked that up. I actually know right where that is. That's that's by the Moon Market. I, I have never stayed in that hotel above the seventh floor, but it sounds like that's a good idea. Dayonggak? Hotel. There was a fire there in 1974 that killed 164 people. Deadliest hotel fire in history to this day. Wow, 164 people. And I think the Joelma fire actually killed 189. So um, I think that's is, the is that the, not a hotel? The deadliest fire in. Uh, oh right, okay, that wouldn't be a hotel. That was a that was an office building. Oh, so these were just people at work when the fire started. Yeah, and there were people living in the hotel in Korea. You know, they they had apartments there. Uh, and these fires, there was no way to evacuate the people, and they often burned for hours. Right. Imagine the trucks there with the ladders fully extended, and, and they're, uh, they're spraying no, water up, and nothing they nothing can do. Nothing they can do. And so uh, there were people sort of trapped in the upper floors that just sat up there for ten hours, sort of waiting, and gradually asphyxiated on the smoke. Awful. So in Los Angeles, which was undergoing a kind of, I mean, this was an era where skyscrapers were being built all around. This was when the World Trade Center was built in New York. Skyscrapers were really the rage. There'd been a skyscraper boom during the 30s, right, when the Chrysler Building was constructed and the the Empire State Building. But then there was kind of a long downtime. I guess I never had thought of that. Yeah. and All the big American skyscrapers are... In the 30s or in the 70s and not much in between, huh? That's right. So it, Why is that flight, white flight out of the cities? More companies wanting to be in suburban campuses? You know, I'm going to guess that the skyscrapers of the 30s were an expression of a kind of, like, hopeful and capitalistic euphoria. And, and corporate identity, right? Like you associate Chrysler now with this gleaming Art Deco masterpiece. Yeah, and they were things of beauty, right? Because uh, up until uh, the 20th century, we weren't capable of building buildings that high. Yeah. We didn't have the steel technology. You couldn't get water up there. You couldn't, there weren't elevators that would go that high. And so we had recently developed the ability to build a skyscraper 50 stories high. So they were, they were today that's the most cost-effective way to use expensive land. At the time, they were more like showy monuments. Yeah, an expression of our, of our industrial capacity. And, I mean, those were the tallest buildings in the world. And New York did, even then, have, like, real estate be, was starting to become extra valuable. Uh, but then, during the middle years, I mean, certainly Europe didn't build skyscrapers until very recently. No. and other nations around the world didn't have that capacity. And in America, it was a kind of a, a period where we were whew, for, focusing on other things. And I guess in the 1970s, again, there was a, a, a renaissance of architecture that came out of the brutalism and, had, and there was modernism, right? We were mm-hmm. building tall, square, glass high-rises that were cost-effective to build relative to ones that are made out of, you know, are clad in stone or aluminum. And think about the World Trade Center, you know, the new tallest building in Manhattan is going to be no longer the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building, beautiful buildings people love, but these kind of featureless, minimalist boxes. And and we don't care, like, that's the new thing. Right, and those were, those, I mean, the World Trade Center now, it's very hard for us to think of it as... um, in any way that not colored by its destruction, but those were not beloved buildings by any not means. Not at all. People in New York kind of were like, ugh, the have, World Trade Center. Have you seen the 70s King Kong, the Jessica Lange one, where to really get home its modern setting, Jeff Bridges' full setting, they have the monkey climb the World Trade Center towers instead of the Empire State Building. And you really see what is lost by having the monkey climb this kind of depressing 70s skyscraper instead of a cool 30s one. Yeah, a, a, a totally different experience. And I think um, I think that was true in a lot of American cities. And also this was the rise of an era of big banks and big corporations that wanted skyscrapers as part of their, this new style of corporate. We're part of the downtown landscape. Yeah, and it's and we are capable just by ourselves, you know, of building a structure like this. We're not Chrysler, but we are 
Bear Stearns. Transamerica Pyramid in San Francisco is the 70s as well? It is. As the movie Zodiac taught me. I guess that's true. I never thought about this. Yeah, it was a, it was a real skyscraper time. And there, and we were also conscious of, I mean, in San Francisco, right, the Transamerica Pyramid was built to withstand earthquakes. Mm-hmm. So we were uh, I- increasingly conscious that there were dangers to skyscraper construction, but we were confident in our ability to to counteract those. But what was not mandated was sprinkler systems. Fire suppression systems were not part of skyscraper construction code. I assume we have the technology, right? Uh, well, it was, it was you know, like a, an evolving technology. Um, we could get water up there, toilet water, but this was a, this, I mean, the idea. It's true. People, <laughs> people in hotels did poop yeah. before the 70s, they, I believe. They had bathrooms all the way up on the top floor. They didn't have to go down to the 11th floor to go to the bathroom. Crazy. But it was the idea that you could actually, that it was functional, that you could suppress a building fire by this sort of style of, of uh, triggered water suppression was just something that... Um, it wasn't uh, believed that it would work at first. And I guess it's the opposite of everything people know about how fires get put out, you know, like fires get put out when people run to the scene and defeat the fire. It, fires don't put themselves out. Buildings don't put themselves out. That's right. And, and, and honestly, and it's hard for us to imagine now, but it was not fully understood that most deaths from fire were a result of smoke inhalation. That just wasn't completely understood. And so uh, when there's a fire in a tall building, really the people that survive are the ones that get under the fire. And if you're above the fire, I mean, your instinct is to go up, right? To get away from the fire on the 11th floor by going to the 40th floor. But really you're just going up into the smoke plume. And there was a a famous fire um, in Las Vegas, the MGM Grand Fire, where 85 people died, and the vast majority of them, 75, died of smoke inhalation. I guess that's, you know, another legacy of this is the little brochure thing on the inside of the hotel door that has a little map that tells you how to get to the elevator and gives you instructions, you know, feel the knob, all this kind of fire safety stuff. It tells you, you know, contrary to what you think, it's the smoke. So, and I remember staying in a hotel for the first time as a kid. It was actually in, when we moved to South Korea in the early 80s, it was actually just maybe five or 10 minute walk from the De Young Hotel that had burned down. And we just poured over that thing on the inside of the door. Cause you know, we had just, we'd been living in a little suburban rented house. We had never seen right. the idea that there'd be a little piece of paper telling you which elevators were safe. And we thought this was fascinating. We studied that like a military operation. Well, sure. Like you used to read the little handout in the back seat of a, your airline. Now, where are the exits? How am I going to get out? Onto I'm supposed the, to, well, they might be behind me. Into the raft? Now, hold on. It's under the seat. Yeah, I would really always do all that stuff as a kid, like try to feel for where the vest was. You don't want to be doing that for the first time when your plane's crashing. Oh, no, sirree, Bob. Of course, I haven't done it in 30 years, so. Yeah, and they've they've moved all those vests to a, to a thing in the back where they used to keep magazines in little slots. I'm doomed, That's basically. That's not true. That's not true. Like nine-year-old me is totally going to survive, and like middle-aged me will be like, wait, what did she say about where the... <laughs> Use the oxygen mask on the kid first? Is that what it was? <laughs> uh, the thing is, skyscrapers also oftentimes were built so that the stairways did not really work as emergency exits. They worked as chimneys, funneling smoke and fire up rather than allowing egress. Yeah, it was like, we, we have these in case the elevators break. Right. There's, and there's no idea that they're safety equipment. We didn't understand that taking the elevator down uh, was a, was not the best way to escape a fire. This is a great uh, show to have helicopter noise in the yeah, middle of. Yeah, there's a little helicopter flying over the house even now. Our producer doesn't have to do anything here. So the idea of providing helicopter pads on these buildings was that we would have an we would have access to the upper floors. People could escape, not just fires, but in Los Angeles in particular, giant earthquakes. Mm, you could evacuate upward. You could evacuate up. I wonder and, if there's some cultural memory of everybody getting off the embassy roof in Saigon, you know, like helicopters. That's how you get off of a building when, when everything goes south, you know? Well, this was also the age of the helicopter. So uh, when you think about the initial popularization of it and the public imagination happened during the Korean War, prior Mm. to that, helicopters were just being developed during World War II. They were never actually really utilized 
widespread in the war. And wasn't these flimsy mash ones with the big bubble? Yeah. And then you actually put the stretchers on the outside of the thing? If you look at helicopter uh, design from that era, the ski or ski kind of, uh, diff the different ideas they had mm -hmm. about how to build a helicopter, some of them are hilarious. They look like praying mantises. There are all kinds of different designs to try and compensate for all the enormous torque that those rotors are producing and how you get enough power to lift those things. But there was, I think, a, a real cultural sense that because helicopters were so uh, not just novel, but, but they suggested that we would be traveling in our cities and around cities in these highly efficient ways. We were going to get up off the roads and motoring around in via helicopter. And so we need to future-proof our cities by making sure things are helicopter accessible. And Well, that, and we imagined that helicopters were going to be providing all these different functions mm -hmm. in our culture. And it was very, it was also the time where we were, we were developing a supersonic aircraft. And um, in the late 60s, all the major aircraft manufacturers set about to design and build what we thought was the future of air travel, supersonic airplanes like the Concorde that could travel across the Atlantic Ocean in four hours. You've talked about how sad it makes you that we, you know, essentially have abandoned space exploration. Do you feel the same way about supersonic commercial air? Well, the problem with supersonic commercial air is that the sonic boom, uh, I don't know if future listeners will have figured out a way to compensate for the sonic boom. Maybe they can't break this piece of sound. Maybe they don't know what you're talking about. That's true. They could just be uh, living in the golden record mud of some future civilization and unable to even conceive of We're going to have to take, you're going to have to take our word for it. When yeah. something breaks a certain speed, it makes a huge boom. I know that seems like I'm making it up. If it goes faster than sound waves can travel, it does, it makes a boom that resonates and the, you know, the aircraft are high up in the air. So the boom, it can travel long distances. Do you know what's believed to be the first human made object to pass the speed of sound in the evolution of human history? An arrow? They say it's the tip of a whip. Oh, sure. Like cracking a whip can actually break the speed of sound. And maybe that's what makes that noise. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, the crack of a whip is a... Um... Or maybe it's just your buddies when your wife won't let you go bowling. Is that That's what makes that noise. Oh, you can't come out with us. Ha <laughs> Busted. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Uh, so no, I don't miss supersonic air travel um, because we just haven't figured out a way to have it not be incredibly disruptive. I mean, sitting in my house, I'm agitated when someone slams their car door across the street. If airplanes were routinely passing over and going, <laughs> I think everybody would, well, and everybody was. People uh, protested supersonic flights across the continent. And so the Concorde only ever made New York to Paris and New York to London flights. Is that why they never they never tried continental routes just because no. of... They did try continental routes and, and people were furious. So they just flew over the ocean. I think it's unrelatable that I always have some uh, anecdote from my weird Asian childhood, but we would often hear military sonic booms in Seoul during the 80s. Mm -hmm. And they would often come in pairs. It would always be like one sonic boom and then like 20 to 30 minutes later, another one. And I was told, can't swear this is true, that it was usually... They, North Korea violates South Korean airspace, you know, then they reverse it. South Korea has to violate, you know, send something into their airspace and then everything is good. So we always heard them in pairs. Two you'd, booms. You'd always wait for the second one, like the other shoe dropping. 
Well, and the and it turned out, and it turns out that helicopter flights are also incredibly disruptive. Uh, helicopters are loud. They are loud. Even the quietest ones are loud, and it's also expensive. And so, what was imagined to be the popularization, the widespread popularization of helicopter uh, flights as just a way for rich people to go from their house to their downtown office, didn't really manifest in quite the way everybody expected. I've heard, I don't, I don't know if this is jumping head, but I was reading about the city of Sao Paulo, the place where the hotel fire is, now has such epic traffic that really the city's moneyed class is almost exclusively helicopter now. They'll, you know, there's like 193 heliports in the city, and that's how you will get from your, meet, your lunch meeting back to the office. Yeah, what's crazy is that the income disparity in Sao Paulo and the fact that the, I mean, there are often traffic jams backed up for hours right. and hours where no one's moving has produced in Sao Paulo specifically a glut of helicopters. The very rich and government agencies and the news people um, have resulted in 700 helicopter flights a day within the city of Sao Paulo. Wow. And that relies, I think, on the majority of the population in Sao Paulo having no political agency whatsoever to protest. <laughs> right. So, they, you know, they're stuck in traffic while just uh, assaulted by constantly. You only get that cool layered Blade Runner city if there is like a depressed underclass sure. to live in the mud. Sure, who are literally teeming on the surface yeah. as the it's, overlords. It's not fun to be an overlord if you're not flying above anybody teeming. You know, if everybody's right. in a helicopter, that's one kind of utopia, but. So there are, yeah, there are 500 registered helicopters in uh, Sao Paulo. And for there to be 700 flights a day, means that a lot of those helicopters are landing and <laughs> taking off. I mean, they're shuttling people back and forth. Um, and I guess it's unrelated to the original uh, Joelma fire of the 70s because no one was rescued from that fire by a helicopter. But there will not be another Joelma fire there. That's the most helicopter-ready city. Well, what what's interesting is that after L.A. passed this uh, restriction on tall buildings being built without helipads, what happened in skyscraper design was that Architects and builders realized that, that they needed to systematize fire suppression systems. And so they were all increasingly built with sprinkler systems. And the original rules were that those had to be built into all new construction, but older buildings were grandfathered in. Mm -hmm. And then as a result of some further fires, and including one in L.A., the, the first interstate tower that caught on fire in 1988, uh, as a result of that, then the new laws were passed that even older buildings had to be retrofitted with sprinkler systems. And once that happened, skyscraper fires were dramatically reduced and fatalities were dramatically reduced because those systems work. Helicopter or no helicopter, the fire's not getting out of hand anyway. And what was also discovered was in those tall fires, helicopters did not really succeed in rescuing people. Uh, the first interstate tower was an example. I think that's the only time in LA any of these helipads ever got used for an emergency. Yeah, five people were rescued from the building. Well, still, John, if you were one of those people, you wouldn't be like, eh. It's true. It's true. And that that is an example of the, the people that... Um, what if one of those people grows up and develops cold fusion, you know? Yeah, what if one of those people grows up to be a, a failed landscape painter who becomes, that's right. I can't believe it took you this long to get to Hitler. Hitler. You can reset your Hitler boards, everyone at home. <laughs> it's been it's one been. <laughs> episode. Uh, so buildings, you know, uh, new skyscrapers and then retrofitted old skyscrapers had true uh, firefighting equipment built into them and including then fire elevators, uh, which were developed as a way for firefighters to take express elevators. Then their their elevators designed exclusively for firefighters. Does that mean they don't get used? They're not they're not even like maintenance elevators. Yeah. They're they're only it's a, it's an elevator that sits there unused unless the building is burning down. Yeah, secret fire elevators. Wow. Uh, which I'm sure now we're inspiring future fraternity beings to go figure out how to get in these things and ride them for joy. Go vandalize a fire elevator. The uh, An instance of a helicopter rescue that was sort of profound was the MGM Grand Fire in 1980 in, in Las Vegas, where the fire, it was a hotel that had 2,000 people staying in it, and it had not been retrofitted. And some lions. There's lions in the lobby of that hotel. Uh, maybe now. Were there lions then? 
don't know. It's like the MGM logo. Sort of prior to Siegfried and Roy really being a big deal. Although 1980, they were. It's, but it's because the of the MGM lion. That's why there's. Oh, I see. I don't, I don't. I think it might be unrelated to Siegfried and Roy. The, I'm not sure. They also had a big Wizard of Oz balloon. Maybe they should have escaped in that. The historic record is uh, remains silent on whether any lions died in this fire. <laughs> but a th- 85 people did die. Um, but a thousand people were rescued from the roof of the MGM Grand. Really? By, esca- by, uh, by escalator? By escalator? By escalator. <laughs> by helicopter? <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a massive undertaking. Uh, the helicopters from the Nellis Air Force Base, that's near to uh-huh. Las Vegas, mounted this huge rescue operation with Huey helicopters and also those big jolly green giant helicopters with the, the, the two, two rotors. The two rotors. We used to see those when I was a kid. And they managed to do kind of a, a, a evacuation of Saigon style effort where they would land on the top of the building and fill up and take it. So a thousand people were rescued, sort of validating the rooftop helipad I guess. mentality. I mean, at some point you got to be the actuary who says, what, we're spending this many millions of dollars to put this little latch into every car and once every 40 years somebody needs the latch? Well, you just made the argument that of those five people in L.A., you know, one of them could have discovered a cure for... I didn't really mean it. Yeah, I see. Like, I've met... Let's say you meet five people in L.A. Like, what are the odds that one of those people is cool? Very, 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 very small. diminishingly small. small. Well, and and imagine uh, the people that are staying at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas in 1980... Probably a not, a, not a lot of Jonas socks. What if one of those people is just trying to make enough money at the craps table that they can try out their new, uh, you know, fusion reactor? Sure, they're going to they're gonna pay off their debts, first of all. Uh, <laughs> they're going to get their house back, and then they're going to invent cold fusion. That old lady with that cup of nickels, you know, if she just has six more nickels, she's ready. Six more nickels. That was, uh, that was my ska band. <laughs> um, so, gradually... Skyscraper helipads became kind of superfluous, although they increasingly were popular in Asia. In 1990, in Tokyo building code, it was suggested that any building taller than 45 meters have a helipad included. Well, for sure, for Godzilla. Uh, For Godzilla and for, uh, I think, still the idea that you would be able from Narita airport to downtown, be able to cut that transit time if you were a high powered Tokyo executive. And these were 1990 still kind of booming times in Japan. This was not a mandate. It wasn't a law. It was just suggested. If they had made the Nakitomi Towers building have a helicopter, I would say that the Hans Gruber incursion of 1986 or whatever would have gone very differently. I don't know if you remember the movie very well. Wait, is there a helicopter? The whole plot is that they would leave by the roof. They all climbed up on the roof to get on the helicopter and fly away. But But, then... But the cops don't come in a helicopter. No, the cops don't because... um, They don't know. They're never, you know, like, ladies and gentlemen, the FBI. They don't know what they're doing. But but, uh, John... Reginald Vell Johnson is just eating, uh, eating donuts. But John, what's his name? McLean? John McLean, uh, like the helicopter comes and he does, he throws like a boomerang at it or something. He throws his shoe at it and it, it goes away or it blows up. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. But that's why they're up there because the Nakatomi Tower is a giant helipad. So if it didn't have a helipad, none of that would have happened. Right. They would have had to have left. Oh, no, wait. They were going to leave in an armored car, too. There was a, oh, no, wait. The whole idea was that. Is one of those fake? That all of the, all of the people went up to the roof while they were actually escaping in an ambulance. The, the, like, leaders were escaping in an ambulance from the basement. I hope nobody listening has ever seen Die Hard because they are incredibly frustrated right now <laughs> and that, they, that we have such a flimsy grasp of the Hans Gruber plot mechanics. They'd put all those explosives in the roof, right? So they were, it was one of those things like in the Batman movie where the Joker kills all the other bank robbers one mm. by one, all the rest of the team are going to go up to the roof and then the roof was going to explode, killing them all. And then Hans wow. Gruber would get away in the ambulance. What a terrible boss. He was a bad boss. Horrible bosses should have had Alan Rickman in it. Talk about Bond villains. Uh, so anyway, but because of the, of a kind of, I guess, a uh, Japanese overachievement, um, Tokyo now has more skyscraper helipads than anywhere in the world. There are 80 buildings in Tokyo with helipads built onto the roofs. Are people using them or are they hella underutilized? They're hella underutilized because again, when you do fly a helicopter, 
onto one of these buildings, everyone down on the street is completely agitated by it. The sound of a helicopter hovering over a building is, you know, whoop, 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 whoop on, on everywhere around. It's the first five minutes of Apocalypse Now, but you're just trying to do your laundry. Or yeah, and, and, and I think uh, because of a sort of Japanese sense of responsibility to your fellow citizens to not inconvenience them in any way, or at least to not intrude upon them, uh, there was enough protest about helicopter flights that it did not become a big part of how people move around. But if you move that to a city where people have contempt for their fellow beings, like Los Angeles. Or Sao Paulo. <laughs> or Sao Paulo. <laughs> have you, do you remember that case at the Sofitel where um, the relativity media guy was always landing his taking his helicopter straight to the hotel. Yeah. And the neighbors start to complete look, they look at the documents to find out, wait, the Sofitel's helicopter pad is only for emergency use because that's why LA makes you build one. Uh, and what's his name? This Kavanaugh douchebag is not allowed to land his helicopter there, even if it saves him 10 minutes. Well, and that happens a lot. In fact, here in Seattle, um, our local billionaire, Paul Allen, who lives on a, in, in a very wealthy community over uh, across the lake called, Mercer Island, mm -hmm. uh, he, he bought several old houses and created a compound there and he wanted a helicopter because, or a helipad because God knows Paul Allen needs to get over to town or get down to see the Portland trailblazers or whatever he thinks he needs to do that requires a helicopter. Because Jimi Hendrix guitar at auction is not going to buy itself. That's right. When you're a billionaire, you're very important and you need to get places fast. Uh, but his neighbors said, no, you can't build a helicopter here. Like we're also all rich people who are <laughs> living on this idyllic island and you're not going to fly in and out of here on a helicopter. So what he did, and the zoning supported them, what he did was he bought a yacht and he took the top off of the yacht and built a helipad on it. And he docks the yacht in front of his house. And when he wants to come and go, he just sails the yacht out into the middle of the lake. The law can't touch me. I'm in international waters of you Lake Washington. Talk about a Bond villain. And then he, he sits and, and lands his helicopter on the barge, disturbing everyone. <laughs> and then, you know, the barge motors back in and docks in front of his house. It's really awful. That's a bad dude. <laughs> you're really, you're really coming down hard. On, I mean, I'm. Uh, I mean, you, know. you, you admiringly mention Nazi High Command every episode, yeah. but you're you're not going to sit and let Paul Allen land his I've helicopter met, on a yacht. I've met Paul Allen several times. I think you know he and I are on friendly terms, <laughs> but I think that particular helicopter workaround is is pretty mean. I hope he's not listening. I don't think so. I, he has people listen to our show. And write down basically synopsis, synopses they send of it. Him, they send him reports. Yeah. And, uh, and he doesn't experience emotions the way normal people do. So they, they tell him which emotions to feel at which point during the uh, recording. They put little stars, little hashtags and X's next to like, you're sad now. Now you're mad. <laughs> but I, he'll, if he's mentioned by name, I think he does listen to those excerpts. Um, so anyway, so in Asia now, uh, Seoul, not far behind Tokyo, has 77 helipads in their downtown. And then uh, Busan, in, also in Korea, mm -hmm. has uh, 50 helipads. And Osaka has 43. So this is the, these are the top four cities with skyscraper helipads. Now, Sao Paulo has, as you said, all, almost 200 helipads, but they're not all on skyscrapers. Right, these are ground level. They're helipads that just get put everywhere. But these four Asian cities, they're in the top four. And then L.A. brings up the rear in fifth place with 41 skyscraper helipads. And so this is why none of the buildings you see ha can have cool spires or weird roof lines because they've all got to have this flat deck reinforced in a certain way, I assume. That's right. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash 
slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Um, so there are some skyscrapers now newly built in Los Angeles that are pretty darn tall. And uh, one of them is the Wilshire Grand Hotel, which I had the opportunity just recently to stay in. And from those upper floors... Guests of Omnibus stay right. at the Wilshire Grand. <laughs> uh, and because, uh, you know, I'm a fancy guy and people treat me fancy, they put me uh, way high up in the hotel. Are you one of these people that asks, do you have a specific request at the desk of what floor you'd like to be on? Well, I, you know, I need my room to have no pillows. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No <laughs> feather pillows. I like pillows. I need my room to have no, <laughs> no pillows. pillows. Are you, I, what, what terrible superstition? What could have happened to you, John? <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't pillows. That's it right. Was a, it was a planes, trains, and automobile experience I had as a young man. Your parents were killed by pillows after leaving a opera. No, I, I want all feathers out of there. No feather comforters or pillows because I'm allergic. You hate birds. I like a bathtub, which a lot of fancy hotels now don't have bathtubs. They have those terrible walk-in showers with glass walls. Yeah. So if you're sharing a hotel room and with sometimes somebody, they're visible from the room, Oh, right? for sure they are. Yeah. So you're like, hey, I'll just be in the <laughs> shower over here if you maybe wanted to look at the TV or something. Uh, so I like those two things. And then, yeah, uh, uh, oh, king bed, a ki- Gotta California have a king, king bed. And then uh, the highest floor possible is like fourth on the list. You want the highest floor because of less noise. I like less noise. And also I'm someone who stares out at cityscapes. I, I like to look out the window. And you want to be close to the arriving helicopter. You only have three floors of people to climb over in the case of a rooftop evacuation. Well, the thing is late at night when I put on my super suit and go out and solve crimes, <laughs> I like to be able to leave from the, the highest floor. The hotel trend I despise. I'm sure this is fascinating to people of a different era. The European trend of not having a top sheet on the bed, just some duvet thing. Oh, yeah, I know. And I'm, I don't mind having a duvet thing, but you give me a top sheet too so yeah. I can have, you know, if it's too hot, I have the option of just having the sheet on. If you just have a duvet, you, your options are either two inches thick of comforter or just nothing. So there's almost no room temperature that's good for either of those. As part of the swag economy, which is uh, an economy that basically keeps me housed and fed. Uh, <laughs> All you eat is little just, M&M. I mean, I get pe- cans of pecans from dry bar I get from uh, free, honor bars. free coffee and t-shirts from every place in the city. Uh, someone sent me really fancy linen sheets. I mean, linen sheets that cost more than my first car. And the linen sheet set that they offered had no top sheet. That's and I so said, weird. what are you talking about? I need a top sheet. Like I'm, I'm an American. I'm not some fancy European person who doesn't have a sheet. And so I had to order a sheet separately to come with my, I guess, fitted sheet and duvet cover, which was their idea of a sheet set. Did you have to buy some down market one and put them in between? No, they, they made them. Okay. It was just like, oh, you want one of those, eh? Oh, so... Interesting. You should have just bought some crappy Ikea sheet and put between them. Absolutely not. Crap sandwich. If you're sending me free sheets, I want the whole kit and caboodle. What I do is I pull, I'll pull the duvet partly out of the cover to make a top sheet effectively. Wow. Ken Jennings life hack. (laughs) I hope hope someone's writing these all down. The MacGyver of the Beverly Hilton. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So fast forward to the mid 2000s. Architects are really bemoaning the fact that they can't build fancy pointy buildings in Los Angeles uh, because all around the world, skyscrapers have... Uh, they're, they're getting more and more elaborately shaped. Yeah, we London are... London has a one that looks like a pickle next to one that looks like a cell phone next to one that looks like a cheese grater. There's one in Calgary that is supposedly meant to look like a bow from a bow and arrow. What? There are... sky. Well, so we're in the third renaissance of skyscraper building, or maybe you could argue the fourth renaissance. So the original one was the Chrysler building era. And then we had the minimalist, brutalist 70s square boxes. Mm -hmm. And then in the 80s, there was an era of green glass buildings with shapes. I mean, they had shapes. I don't find any of them very attractive. They had pyramids on the top or, you know, you think about the skylines of a lot of places like Nashville or Charlotte. There's some attempt at decoration. Yeah. And all of it seems like some tacked on decoration to what is essentially a a glass box. 
And now we're, but now we're in this fourth iteration of skyscraper design. Where and finally, they actually look kind of futuristic. A little bit. Um, some of them are maybe uh, a little too futuristic, but there's a race to be the tallest building in the world. There are those uh, Middle Eastern countries that are building huge skyscraper cities that are, don't even really function as cities. Because uh, certainly that's what you'll want when your economy is based on some resource you're rapidly running out of. Yeah, right. When the you oil's want, all gone. You want the, the biggest, weirdest buildings possible in the middle of the desert. Where, where the temperatures average 120 <laughs> degrees and all those buildings were lot. You know, there's a, a mall in, I think, in the United Arab Emirates that has a functioning ski hill. I have seen a picture. Yeah. Um, inside just, I mean, they're, they're like, we have so much money to burn that we're just going to air condition this all the way down to like skiing. We're, we're gonna, it's going to snow in these buildings. That's we, how much contempt we have for the rest of you. We should explain to our listeners, luckily there's no underclass in the United Arab Emirates, no right. no virtual slave class immigrants that need that money. That's so right. why not give the sheiks a place to ski? That's right. And there's, of course, there's no like environmental impact <laughs> right. to creating all that air conditioning. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so the architect class and the fancy people class of Los Angeles really started to chafe at this rule, which was called Regulation 10, um, the rule that there needed to be helipads. And they all said, technology has changed. Buildings don't need helipads anymore. The nanny state needs to stop making us add helipads. Right. And we want to build fancy, fancy, fancy buildings. And so this aforementioned Wilshire Grand Hotel, uh, the builders of it, lobbied the city to do away with Regulation 10. And initially the fire department protested, but as the fire chiefs did more research, they realized that, in fact, this wasn't a bad idea. Uh, the helipads were not useful anymore. They had found many other ways to control skyscraper fires. I've read that even in the case of 9-11, you know, there was just the, the, the column of smoke and fire meant that you couldn't have landed helicopters anyway. So 9-11 is the classic case where people... You think it's a classic? I don't think it was that great. Well, a classic case of people thinking that helicopters could have made a difference. Mm -hmm. And one of the two towers had a giant radio tower on the top of it. There wasn't any place a helicopter could have landed. That's not um, an argument against helipads. It's an argument against giant TV antennas. Right. But the other tower did have a helipad on the top. And helicopters were the first emergency crews to arrive on the scene. There were helicopters at the World Trade Center within minutes of the airplane crashing. But there was so much smoke and so much fire, not just from all the things inside the towers burning, but also the million gallons of jet fuel, mm -hmm. that uh, the helicopter pilots on the scene, at desperate, as desperately as they wanted to land and rescue people, couldn't bring their helicopters down. And this is another, um, this is another problem with helicopter rescues from burning towers, is that the updrafts created by the flames make it incredibly dangerous or impossible for helicopters to land. Well, we're living in a city where just a few years ago we had a, a news copter crash upon takeoff from a downtown helipad, I assume partly due to these kind of tricky air currents when you're trying to land a, a helicopter amid skyscrapers. Sure, you have updrafts and downdrafts around skyscrapers that are already very tricky. There's a famous story of a guy uh, who base jumped here in Seattle off of the Columbia Tower, our tallest building, and, uh, you know, jump off and then you throw your parachute yeah. and sail down. Uh, but jumped off uh, through his parachute and then the wind caught him and spun him back around and he bounced off of the face of the building multiple times. He bounced and then... You need to tell me if this guy survived so I know if I can laugh or not. Bounce again and again over if, if and over. If this guy over died and, and was buried in his native Latvia or something, I can't <laughs> laugh at this hilarious idea that he of him just... People inside watching this guy splat over and over. It's terrible. It's terrible. So the lobby, um, which became an increasingly vocal lobby against Resolution 10 in LA, eventually convinced the city council and uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti mm -hmm. that they could rescind Resolution 10 and start building, thank goodness, interesting buildings uh, in downtown L.A. And L.A. is now a cultural capital renowned the world over for its beauty. Well, this just happened in 2014. So there was a city councilman by the name of Michael Wu who is now the dean of the College of Environmental Design at Cal Poly. 
Um, so he's not just a lay person. He's actually a person in the field and he supported it. Uh, eventually the fire chief supported it. There were still a lot of people that felt like this is exactly the type of thing that you do right, right before this is like the, a bigger, this is like the mayor, the mayor and jaws opening up the beaches or something. Exactly. It's sort of like, Oh, we don't need these anymore. Let's, <laughs> you know, there are no young people in this neighborhood of old people. Let's close the elementary school. And then all the old people die within 10 years. And, and there are suddenly 2000 kids that need an elementary school. That's not uh, hypothetical. That, that happens. That happened in my neighborhood. So there is a little bit of a sense uh, that this is a hubristic moment that we no longer need this additional option of evacuating skyscrapers. But in 2014, they rescinded Re regulation 10 and the, uh, the Wilshire grand was built like in the style of new, uh, new skyscrapers to look like a glass shard. Uh, it's a very interesting hotel to apprehend from a distance uh, within the building, it is incredibly confusing. When you enter the building, there is no lobby. There are just signs that say, for the lobby, take the elevator to the 70th floor or something. And you get in the elevator and everyone in the elevator. And I looked confused. I was in this hotel for, for several days. Every time I went up or down, I was in an elevator with like eight other people who were like, where are we going? What is this? It's a permanent feature of that hotel is the elevator is always full of confused Australians. Yeah, but then the elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. You have to get off at the 40th floor and walk around the corner to get on a second elevator to get up to the top. And on the top floor is the lobby of the hotel. So it's upside down. Super baffling. And I swear to you on that 40th floor, the number of people milling around with suitcases going like, what are we supposed to do? And all of them kind of mad, not just confused, <laughs> but like mad. This is, this is why we're rescinding resolution 10 in order to like have the ability to build hotels that are to, like to, to baffle and anger Chinese people. Super infuriating. And it took me quite a while to get feather pillow or uh, non feather pillows. And then there was a strange clanking in the bathroom fan. To me, it seems that that one may be unrelated to the helicopter issue. But where we are right now in time is that there are a whole, like a large handful of new buildings being constructed even as we speak in year of our Lord 2018, when we're, when we're initially recording this episode, we're about to see LA's uh, skyline transformed. I think they should retroactively put like, cool tops on all the old buildings too. Some companies should just make prefab Santa hats, <laughs> right? You know, weird <laughs> shard like things you can just kind of drop on an existing one. You could do that. Or like, you remember the, the giant crossed swords sculpture in Baghdad? Yeah. The, the two hands with big I cross do. swords. You could put one of those up on one. Yeah. All the, all the hotel, all the skyscrapers should have arms coming out of them. Some yeah. of them are waving. <laughs> waving. Some of them are pointing at a different skyscraper what arm wrestling. What about a giant globe that says the world is yours around the outside? Like That's a, what I want. Like the daily planet. Yeah, yeah, or uh, or a chocolate fountain. That would be so L.A. You couldn't land a helicopter on one of those. Only our listeners know if the uh, extinction of helipads led to some terrible tragedy that we are um, blithely blind to. Well, and we'll see, right? Because a giant earthquake is just as likely to hit Tokyo as it is Los Angeles. And uh, because they have the greatest number of skyscraper helipads, uh, we may see this proof of concept, but, um, if that's what happens, we, we really apologize for all the terrible calamity brought about by our need for more decoratively topped buildings. Yeah. And, and no one looks at the Tokyo skyline and, and thinks of it as being especially uninspiring, although it doesn't have any buildings that look like giant samurai swords. It is still like a complex and interesting skyscape. Uh, but L.A. is not, and we're about to see if it was Regulation 10 the whole time that kept us, like, creatively hobbled and unable to build L.A. as the, like, supervillain headquarters of the future. The L.A. of our dreams. And that concludes Skyscraper Helipads, entry 1170.IS6008, certificate number 38095, in the omnibus.
Listeners, we certainly hope that social media does not exist in your time. But if it does, you can probably still find traces of our presence millennia ago uh, under our accounts at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on Twitter and in John's case, Instagram, as well as at Omnibus Project on really any social media platform you can think of, except MySpace. Wow, we need to go back retroactively to MySpace and build a little fan page there. Yeah, put some put some rare tracks up. Uh-huh. Just some <laughs> some bonuses for the I wonder, fans. I wonder who our top eight are going to be. <laughs> we uh, read and enjoyed email from early adopters, early listeners at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. We encourage the creation of fan groups on Facebook. One uh, that we know of is called The Futurelings. Uh, We just love online. We're extremely online people. Uh, We are uncomfortable when our eyes have to look up from the little glowing screens that give us funny pictures and videos every second of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's where we live. Lolcats. We love them. Um, From our vantage point, pre-giant earthquake, pre-fires sweeping our cities, uh, pre-ruin that we ever eliminated Resolution 10, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Um, in Seattle, we don't have the helipads that we need. We never had regulation 10. If you look down on LA from the sky, you'll be astonished you to can, see the helipads. You can see. Do they have like H's? Yeah, they all have H's. Um, and then they have, they have various numbers that indicate like how heavy your helicopter can be. So as you're flying into LAX, LA tells you, <sighs> the city is like, exhaling like the Crypt Keeper as you fly over it. Well, we hope that this catastrophe that results in millions of deaths never comes. <laughs> we're, we're cool like that. <laughs> but uh, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, might be our final word. But if Providence allows, if the many, many armed other worldlings that are our true gods allow... We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.